Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Wizarding World Legacy Podcast. I'm Eric. And I'm Jasmine. And this week we're going to be expanding upon some of the things we mentioned in our first podcast and talking about the differences between the silver screen and your screen. Because as we're all probably aware of, there is an upcoming TV adaptation of the Wizarding World uh, franchise, specifically the Harry Potter books. Please be. Please be. <laughs> And uh, I wanted to talk about a few things that they might have done right in the films, a few things they might have done wrong, and some of the things that, if you go on the forums of like you know, fans talking about the discrepancies between the two, what are the things that have bugged fans most? So I'm going to try to let Jasmine talk a little bit more of this podcast, because <laughs> um, I definitely stepped on her toes last time. So I wanted to start by asking, what do you think in the film adaptation for the seven books bothered fans the most what like what did the directors or the screenwriters get totally wrong that fans just griped endlessly about i'm pretty sure it's pretty evident and it's the absenteeism of peeves in and peeves. of himself all right yeah peeves was definitely a, a big um misstep if you will yes. in the i think the thing that made it most upsetting for anybody who knows about this is the fact that they actually filmed Peeves' roles for the first movie and just decided to get rid of him. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Oh. And uh, I'll have to look up his name again. I'll insert it as text below. But the comedian who played Peeves, he actually played the, um, was it the headmaster or the head of six for the Inbetweeners, if anyone's ever seen that show. Really, really funny. He's a stand-up British comedian. I think he would have been great for the role. I was just thinking, you know, they probably didn't include Peeves in the first one because they didn't know how prevalent he was going to be in the books to come. But now you're telling me that they included Peeves and intentionally left him out. That's right. Which just makes it so much worse. And I think at the time of the first movie coming out, there were there was more than one book. Uh, the first book came out in 1997. The first movie, I believe, came out in 2001, if I'm remembering my timeline correctly. <laughs> So at least, um, at least two of the books were already out. So it, yeah, it's kind of a bummer because Peeps definitely played a role in most of the books. He, he was mentioned multiple times in most of the books. Absolutely, and yeah. he incites specific important events. Yeah, that and are left out entirely. And specific important. Degrees of chaos. <laughs> exactly. And a lot of those events were probably cut out because they didn't introduce the character. So then yeah. they just couldn't have those events take place. Yeah, I agree. Um, so you think that the exclusion of Peeves is probably the most... The biggest misstep uh, they took. The most egregious. Yes. All right. Absolutely. I mean, even before I officially read the books, I had been told time and time again by fan after fan that... You have to read the books so that you can just get to meet Peeves. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's definitely not a hot take. <laughs> Lots of people share that uh, that opinion. I think um, the general exclusion of characters that interact with the main story arc is definitely a big misstep because there's all sorts of misdirects that happen, uh, particularly in the Goblet of Fire. There's mm -hmm. two main characters that are left out of that completely. And we'll get into this um, another time. I don't want to spoil too, too much for another podcast. Because we are going to do one all about the missing characters. There's 42 of them. 
if you count a couple of magical creatures, there's at least four, well, 40. Yeah, there's at least 42 if you count there's a couple of There's 42, so stay tuned. Yes. Um, the general exclusion of characters that have a direct impact on the main storyline, I think, is like a huge flaw. Absolutely. I, if there's any way at all to avoid that, I think screenwriters need to make an incredibly direct effort to do so. Absolutely. And while it wasn't a character that was excluded entirely, speaking of the Goblet of Fire, mm-hmm. Cedric Diggory's dad yeah. is an entirely different person from <laughs> books to movies. That's so true. And you could actually argue that that even negatively impacted things that uh, that no, that people who are strict on canon right. didn't like. So The Cursed Child, right? A lot of people had gripes about that whole adaptation Granted, it was meant to be a stage production, right? not a film, not a book. Um, and so there's going to be some differences there anyways. But people went hard on that, <laughs> saying, like, it's not canon. There's all these discrepancies against the, the books and, and all of its writings on Pottermore and everything that we know is, like, definitely canon. Um, but the funny thing is, Cedric Dickery's dad in The Cursed Child is a more accurate depiction towards the books than the movies huh yeah so if anybody's ever seen the stage production or if you've um read the screenplay or stage play book for the cursed child you can you can vouch for this cedric Diggory's dad is a more accurate portrayal of how he is in the books in that than in the movies see because in the books amos is a dick to harry and he is in so in The Cursed Child, he must be a dick, too. He's still kind of a dick, yeah. Oh, good lord. Yep. Um, and it plays off the exact moments. I hope I'm not spoiling any, anybody who hasn't seen the play, but it plays off the exact moments wherein he's a dick in the books. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. Fantastic. Um, so yeah, I think the general exclusion of characters, and even the minimizing of characters to a degree, is something that universally people had a problem with. For sure. Are there... Things that were changed in the movies that specifically bothered you, other than the exclusion of characters. It's not something that gets to me as much as it gets to you. (laughs) I think I know what you're going to talk about. The fact that seemingly all Death Eaters can fly. Yeah, that's a huge discrepancy because... And um, Order of the Phoenix can fly too. Right. So, oh, yeah, because they all just fly in. They all just swoop in in the Ministry of Magic, which does not happen. <laughs> just doesn't. No. And it's an important detail because J.K. Rowling went um, kind of into a, an elaborate explanation of how and why flight happens in the Wizarding World, both with brooms as well as broomless flight, and explained that Voldemort was the first person really that, you know, in this storyline that knew how to fly without a broom. And that any witch or wizard technically possessed the potential to fly. However, it was incredibly challenging to do so. It was difficult in advanced magic. And the only other person we see in the storyline fly... Snape. Is Severus Snape. Um, And it actually goes into a, a whole theory about Snape. A lot of people theorize that he's actually like a vampire or he has a he's a bat as an animagus. Right. This whole thing. Because it's all these little lines about him where you're sort of hearing Harry's thoughts and he says as he loomed like a vampire or swooping through the castle like a vampire and it's like all these little hints and that he you know swoops through the halls at night 
I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> and then after the battle with Minerva in the Great Hall, when he takes off and flies, they said that they saw a black, almost winged creature or seemingly creature fly away like a giant bat. Yeah. So there's all these like rumors and speculations that he was actually like either a vampire or his animagus was a giant bat. But he was the only other wizard we heard of flying. None of the other Death Eaters, especially, especially not Fenrir Greyback. I knew you were going there. That pissed me off <laughs> so much because he didn't even have the dark mark. Like he wasn't even an official Death Eater. Right. He gets a whole lot more credibility in the movies right. than he gets in the books. He was just like a totally disposable pawn in the books. I he mean, was he, nothing. As a Death Eater, he was he wasn't a Death Eater, but it, within that circle, he was tolerated at best yeah he was trash yeah. <laughs> according to, i'm not saying anything about, <laughs> although he was an evil character so i could i feel like i could down talk yeah, him about reasonable. um yeah so the flight thing bothered me mm-hmm. there's another thing that i mention regularly that totally bugs me well before we go, move on the flight thing allows so many things to happen that don't happen in the books or that happen completely differently in the books right exactly specifically the burrow Oh, yeah. So another thing that bothers, so the other thing I was uh, elucidating to or uh, illuminating <laughs> to, I'm not using the right word, alluding to. Thank you. There, right, there it is. We'll get there. We got there. Um, it must be the narcos. <laughs> We've arrived. So the other thing that bugs me is the blowing up of the Weasley's house, the burrow. Yeah. And the whole way it happens is a scene that never took place in the books. So... <laughs> You'll hear this as we continue to do podcasts, but to the director and the screenwriter's credits and producer's credits, you do have to cut some things when you're adapting a very large book into a movie. Right. And that's fine. I think most people accept that because we've seen that happen with comics and other book adaptations, all of that. However, (laughs) to cut something out of the movie... And then just totally throw some garbage in there that never happened. Not that it's a garbage scene. I mean, it's meant to be emotionally impactful. But to any fan, it's not. Well, it's not the right emotion. It's not the right emotion. And it doesn't add anything to the story. To the story. story. Exactly. The whole story would, if you remove that scene, whole story goes on exactly the same. Right. Because like the next movie, the burrow's back. And you're like, oh, (laughs) it was blown up, wasn't it? But it's here and nothing's different. To move the story along. To move the story along. (laughs) Well, okay then. Uh, so, yeah, the the burrow's just blown up. All the the um, Death Eaters fly around it, set it on fire. All this stuff. it just doesn't happen. Same thing with Luna Love Good's house. Yes. They all fly around and they're blowing it up and all that. That doesn't happen. They're standing outside of Xenophilius's house and then they blow it up and reduce it to rubble and. Yeah, the the flight thing bugs me and it does impact other things. Um, we talked the other podcast about the Millennium Bridge discrepancy, right? right? Millennium Bridge didn't exist during the Harry Potter timeline. And then you had Death Eaters flying around muggles. Like, why can't they see him? That's never explained. No. Nope. And you could say, well, you know, when they're in flight mode or whatever, they're invisible. <laughs> which Activate means, flight mode. Which means they're doing exceptionally difficult magic in flying. Right. Exceptionally powerful disillusionment charms at the same time. Right. I just don't buy that for the majority of Death Eaters. Absolutely. Especially Fenrir. Right, especially Fenrir. Snape I can get behind because he was an exceptionally powerful wizard. And the degree of his capabilities and magical prowess were totally downplayed in the movies. 
Very much so. But um, I mean, but his I could, importance overall was downplayed. It was. That aside. Um, but that aside, I can get past maybe him being able to do some of that stuff. Not the rest of them. <laughs> no. No. So that was something that bugged me. I'm going to re- reiterate the question, though. Is there anything that bugged you specifically about the movies? We can even say before you watched, or sorry, read the books or listened to any of the audiobooks, was there something that the first time you bugged the movie or you watched the movies, you kind of went, I don't know if I buy that, or I don't get that, or why was that in there, or was there anything about the movies that just didn't feel right? I mean, I don't necessarily think anything specifically is coming to mind, but the first time I watched the movies, I was very, very young, and I really didn't look for a whole lot of an explanation on anything. I think the first question I watched, I asked while watching the movies was, like, why does Harry's hands burn up Quirrell? Yeah. And the first one, that was just very unexpected, and I didn't fully understand it, but it is sort of explained in his it is. conversation with Dumbledore. Yep. Um, but yeah, no. What are you thinking of? I mean, so there was a few things that bugged me the first times I watched the films, and it had been a while since I had read the books that I had watched the films, particularly all the way through. Um, I think one of the things that bugged me the most was there seemed to be... And I was coming from, I guess I was coming at it from a, a little bit different mindset than some viewers because I had just gone through school for audio engineering and I did a minor in videography. Yeah. And so some of that was like, we had to do sound for picture projects. So we were watching the whole movie production process kind of happening. And we worked very closely with uh, directors of photography and um, cinematographers and, and just like other people who were in the production role mm-hmm. who were used to reading scripts and kind of like breaking them apart simply to set up different shots and lighting and things like that um, and of course the guy doing sound because when you do sound for picture you get a copy of the script too so that you know all your audio cues you got to make all these notes of like okay if i'm going to be a boom operator i'm booming at this time and you have to get that whole flow down but when you go through enough scripts you kind of start to pick out character motivations because that oftentimes drives their emotion and their performance. And I felt like as good as the acting actually was, if you're, if you're looking at it purely from a storytelling standpoint, there was a lot of times where I'm like, what's the motivation for this? Like, how did I get from A to B? What motivated that to happen? And it's hard to cite specific examples without, without basically just pointing things that were left out. So for example, if you're thinking about Voldemort and the fact that he attacked Harry, um, the fact that Neville could have been the chosen one, but that's never explained. Like all these different little things that you hear about in the books, I don't think most of them, most of the things that drive the main plot, I don't think were explained nearly well enough for you to buy that this super powerful wizard who essentially has seven lives... (laughs) is going to waste all of them trying to kill a little teenage boy for seemingly no reason. And yes, you learn he's the boy who lived. Eventually you learn about the prophecy. But you learn a lot more, a lot sooner in the books about Voldemort's motivations to kill Harry without obviously giving away the fact that Harry's a horcrux and really giving away the whole horcrux twist towards the end anyways. 
you just learn a lot more about characters' motivations that you don't get in the books. I, I mean, mean, the movies. I mean, I th- and I think that's fair, you know, yeah. when you get a question the very first scene when, you know, Voldemort is on his way to yeah. kill Harry. Like, why is this happening? Right. Why is he killing the baby? I mean, yeah, I think that's a valid question. Why <laughs> yeah. is a fully grown man with seven lives out to kill a... Infant. L- a literal infant. Yeah. I think that's a question I didn't fully understand at the time. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I had seen that snippet of the first movie before... You read the books. I read the books. Right. And although that was like halfway through the movie. So I did read the books before seeing the movies. Got you. But my first time really watching the movies all the way through, I it was... A ways away from having read the books and I was older so I, I was probably coming at it from a different perspective than maybe first-time viewers yeah although I know a lot of people who are seeing it for the first time now as adults still um, I don't know that bugged me and then the things you're you already named <laughs> obviously huge discrepancies I also didn't like that like even some of the minor events that were left out so there's the whole thing about like Norbert the dragon yes and how Norbert was in there, but their role in that. Well, there was so much more about him. Like, basically, in the movies, Norbert's hatched. Draco gives it away right away. And the dragon goes away right away. And, yeah, it's it's all... It's, like, super quick. It's all right. It also... They don't point out in the movies that it's illegal to own a dragon. I can't remember if they did. They don't. Because I know, I know Ron... Ask the whole, where'd you get it? And, right. and stuff like Wanted that. Went off an Irish fella in a pub. I didn't, I don't, I can't remember off the top of my head if Ron or Hermione says something about it not being allowed or, or illegal or something. I think one of them might at least allude to it. But regardless of that, they don't. There's, but... like, there's like a whole rift driven between, particularly Hagrid and Ron. Yeah. <laughs> because Ron gets bit by the dragon and it poisons his hand. Uh, but there's a whole like rift drawn between him and the trio because they're like, dude, you got to get rid of it. You live in a wooden house. It's a dragon. Right. It breathes fire. You live in, in a wooden house. house. Hagrid. Yes. It's like a whole thing. And he's like becomes totally absent. He's neglecting his gamekeeper duties. It's like all this stuff surrounding this that never gets mentioned. Right. And does that affect the main storyline? Actually, yes. <laughs> <laughs> because then they have to use the invisibility cloak to get rid of Norbert. At the top of the astronomy tower, they get caught. Peeves is involved in that whole situation. Peeves is absolutely involved. Neville is involved Neville's in that involved. situation. And then... Neville goes to the Forbidden Forest with them. Instead Ron, of Ron. Ron does not because Ron's in the hospital wing. Right. And there's that whole thing where Neville's originally with Draco and Fang. Yep. Harry and Hermione and... Hagrid. Hagrid are together. Is it Harry, Hermione, and Yeah, Harry. It's originally, it's Harry, Hermione, and Hagrid. And then Draco, Neville, and Fang go off. Then Draco does something mean to Neville. Yeah. And, you know, they scream. They all get back together. So and he Hagrid's scares like, them. Yeah. And he sends up sparks. Exactly. And then they go and find him. And then Hagrid even says to Harry, you have to go with him. Sorry about that. This idiot. He calls him an <laughs> idiot. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like. Yeah, it's a whole thing. And so those discrepancies really bugged me. But the biggest things for me, I think, would be in line with what you said. Exclusion of characters that were influential to the storyline. 
and then the flight thing. Like, that was, I don't that know. just always gets you. It irks me. It looks super cool on screen. Right. Then that's what it is. It's cinematically, it looks. Yeah. It looks cool. Looks nice. But it looks kind of epic. It does, but it's such a deviation from the storyline. I don't like it. Absolutely. And f- for the TV show, anyone who is looking for a page-for-page remake is not going to want that. Well, ho- yeah, hopefully they're not going to want that. But some people might be let down because like, oh, there's all the cool flying and all this like people coming out of a cloud of smoke and stuff like that. So I, th- I think some people are probably going to be like, oh, man, I kind of missed it. But if you're like a true diehard fan, yeah, you're going to be like, nah, 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 nobody flies except for Voldemort and Snape. We don't have to get rid of flying entirely. Voldemort still flies and Snape, Snape still, still flies. flies. Yeah. It just won't be as prevalent, hopefully. Hopefully. So, what do the films do right for you? So many things. Honestly, I know it's a deviation from the books, but I liked Cedric's dad in the movies. He was nicer. He was definitely more likable. He was yeah. nicer. He was more likable. Like, you, Cedric's death. Yeah, when he dies. Like, my boy! That yeah. made so much more of an impact. And, and again, I know it's a deviation, and I personally want a page-for-page remake of the books, but I... <laughs> It just, it ticks me off less when Amos isn't an absolute asshole to Harry. <laughs> and it's easier to feel bad for him. Like, if someone's a total D-hole. Right. And, uh, and you just, like, don't like them. When somebody, when they experience a loss, you're kind of like, oh, better you than literally anyone else. <laughs> right. And as callous as that is to say, it's true. Yeah. So. For sure. I know it was a deviation, but I do think they got they got Amos right. Yeah, that, that well, got him right for screen, I guess. Yes, got him right for that particular adaptation. But now that we've seen him like that, I do want to see him be a dick in the in those stories. But in order for that to happen, Harry has to be more of a dick. Yeah, he's got to definitely have more of his sarcasm and quick little quibs back to adults and stuff that he doesn't have. Right, in and the so which he has in like some cut out scenes. Well, particularly the, uh, I don't know if everybody who's watching knows this, but the scene when Lucius goes, let's hope Mr. Potter will always be around to save the day. And Harry responds. Oh, I will be. And then Lucius responds. (laughs) Damn! Damn, boy! That was a genuine response because that was an ad-libbed line from Harry. So, good on you, Daniel. Very nice to know. And, uh, and yeah, there there was a few... Um, like in the uh, first potions class, I know it's oh. taken out of the movies, but it was filmed. Yeah, when the whole part where Snape and Harry go back and forth, when he says, um, "You know, what would you get if I added powdered roots of asphodel with an infusion of wormwood?" and then they go through that whole scene, and it was pretty much all filmed. I think there was still a slight tweak from how it was written specifically in the book but it was it was pretty much that. pretty accurate and then i love the sarcasm of i think hermione knows why don't you ask her that that line but that wasn't in the original films no but it was in the books it was in the books and he should have said it and it was filmed and it was filmed so if you watch the extended edition right. the deleted scenes it's there so like originally the movies got that right but then they got it wrong yeah 
Like, I, and that's, I, I hate to go back to what they did wrong, but taking out Harry's sarcastic quips. Is like a total missed opportunity. Missed opportunity for just like overall comedy, but also character development. And also just the portrayal of teenage angst. Right. Like that's, that was a lot of what, not just the sarcasm, but just like their behavioral traits correlating with their ages is really what made them relatable characters. Right. And in the movies, we have one year where Harry's really angsty and the rest suddenly he's just like super calm and like, well, this is my life. I have to deal with it. Right. He's like, we have one year where he's annoyingly angsty. Angsty and angry. Right. Like really pushing the boundaries of right. what is believable. Right. But then every other year when his life is continuously torn apart, he's, he's just like, like, all right. It's all right. It's not a big deal. That's fine. Yeah. Okay, so back on track to what they did right. What do you think they did right? So I think the color palette and brightness and all that kind of stuff of the first couple of films was a really great way to get people pulled into the magical world. Particularly um, kids. Particularly kids. Because, you know, even according to J.K. Rowling herself, the best way to experience the, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter is to start reading them and viewing them when you're the age of the characters because then you right. really kind of develop along with the complex nuances of the storyline. Right. right. Like with the experiences that they have at that age because a lot of the things that they experience, you know, first loves, first kiss, first loss, all those kind of things right. are pretty congruent with what you experience at that age, the age of the characters. So right. I thought that was like really done well, a really, really good sort of foresight from J.K. Rowling just writing the books. But I just feel like the way the Wizarding World was set up visually to begin with was so well done. Absolutely. The, the scores for the film. Mm -hmm. I mean, John Williams, come on. But just, like, exceptional. I mean, the miniature of the castle. Yeah, the 136 scale <laughs> bigature of the, yep, of the bigature. castle was, like, incredible. It's just incredibly done. So the artistry behind it all was, was fantastic. That was one thing... I thought was really, really well done. And while things were excluded from the first and second film, Harry Peeves, um, I still think, uh, I don't know, I'm going to double back on some of this, I'm sure. <laughs> I still think that the main storyline was facilitated well enough in the films for how short they were. I think if the first films were as long as the last films, I would highly disagree. I would think the exclusion of most of the things that they left out were problematic at best. Um, but knowing how short they were and the attention span at the time for movies, I think um, I think they were okay. The only really long film we had like that back then, I think, was probably Titanic. And people right. And people complained about that. Yeah. Um, so do we think that in the upcoming TV series they will be made for children nowadays or they will be designed for people like you and I? That's a tough one. That's actually a wicked good question. Um, yeah, so there's going to be a certain nostalgia factor to it that you know the production companies are going to really be hinging on. Like they're going to want to draw back existing Harry Potter fans. Right. For sure. Absolutely. And they are primarily adults. So we're not going through the same types of things that kids are going through. But I think it would be a, a super shortcoming 
if they don't try to present this in that very consistent with the books kind of way, like with that consistent experience we all would have had the first time. Right. Because I think when you're thinking about nostalgia, that's what you're looking for. You're not looking for like, I want to experience what I experienced then again as me now. You're looking to be brought back. Fair. Right? Like emotionally, mentally, you're looking to be like, all right, I want that same mental buzz and, and like excitement I got the first time I ever experienced this. So that's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to draw in both the new viewers in that way right. and the old viewers. Because the old viewers are at a much different age, a much different stage. And what would yeah. draw in someone so young, who, who, what would draw in 11-year-olds? Yeah isn't necessarily the same thing that would draw in an adult a full-grown adult that has grown up with this and essentially studied the content yeah then again if you're somebody who can still rewatch the movies or reread the books and um you really enjoy it then maybe it will fair which all of this makes me think you know we have been keeping up with what is sort of happening with the TV production. And right now they are stuck on developing a logo and developing the score. And so... Not not that they're talking about how the score is going to be a problem. The biggest things are the font and the logo. Yes, the font and the logo. That was it. Yeah, and I feel like that's such a trivial, silly thing to start getting stuck on. I get why. I get why they're stuck on because it's like we have to have our artistic vision for this right off the get right um but i wouldn't let that hopefully that's not holding them up in production if you're if you're keeping up with the news on the series that's sort of where things are at right now (laughs) they're just like stuck on do we reuse anything because i think fans were tripped up when the uh teaser trailer came out because they used the same castle with like a gold kind of filter over it right and they used the same font and basically, like, everything was the same. And I think fans were like, wait, isn't this supposed to be, like, a new, different thing, but it's the same music? They even used the Hedwig's theme. Yeah. So, obviously, that was done so that people would see it and hear it and be like, oh, what? Is that right. Harry Potter? That was an attention grab in it, with it being on, you know, social media settings. Yeah. It was meant to draw in our generation. Definitely. Not necessarily the new generation. They're going to have to introduce something entirely new to bring in new peeps current 11 year olds i do think while it definitely served its purpose of grabbing attention it may have created a little bit of a a paradox for them (laughs) in that they're like oh crap well we introduced it this way and now we're talking about changing it all up completely how do we do that and make it make sense but i think it's doable yeah i mean you had um you had the font that was pretty consistent from the book covers to the movies right but you have since had all sorts of different um, pieces of Harry Potter content delivered. So, you know, like I've said before, J.K. Rowling has her website. Uh, you've got the Wizarding World app that has you know, all sorts of creative fonts on there. And, I mean, that has evolved over time. Absolutely. It used to be Pottermore. Right. Now it's the Wizarding World, and so yeah. the font in and of that has changed. Uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them has its own font. Yeah. Um, Hogwarts Legacy, the video game, has its own font, which, honestly, I love. I think it's really, really cool. So, mm-hmm. Portkey Games kind of worked with their graphic design team and art art team and art department and said, like, what do we want 
anything text-wise on our uh, art pieces and on our promotional pages, what do we want it to look like? What's our consistent theming for font? And right. I think it looks great. Agreed. And the special key that you see at the beginning of the um, storyline is like integrated into the W, mm -hmm. which is super cool looking. Uh, it's also in our logo. <laughs> and, uh, it's not derivative at all. Not derivative at all. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, I think it's doable. And you could just sort of keep with that very stylistic look to, to the text. And obviously it's going to have to say Harry Potter. Right. And the the seasons, I guess, you would call the books, right? So you'd say like Harry Potter and the philosopher. Hopefully they call it the Philosopher's Stone. I do want them to stick with that. I think that's a fair take. And uh, I don't know what they'll do for episode names. Maybe they'll break it up by chapter. I'm not sure how they'll name the... It's a lot of chapters. It's a lot of chapters, and I think, obviously, like, a single episode is going to have to be more than one chapter. For sure. So the naming convention for that is going to be interesting. I don't know. That is not something I am even prepared to, <laughs> to provide dive into. them with advice on. Yeah. But, uh, but I hope that it doesn't delay in any way the pre-production process, because from my understanding, they were in pre-pre-production for, like, a couple of years talks between Warner Brothers and, and J.K. Rowling and, um, yeah, that whole team. And now they're supposed to be officially in pre-production, which is going to include, again, the art department talking about, you know, the graphic design elements of it, um, theming in terms of their logos, development of, like, anything that they're going to have to do in terms of, you know, if they're doing a 3D rendered castle or anything, right. they're going to have to start that before they even start thinking about filming is a lot. And not that they have to finish it because depending on how they do it, you know, if they integrate things like the Unreal Engine like they did with the Mandalorian right. and they use those types of virtual environments, yes, like 99.9% .9 of it will have to be done before it's filmed. Right. Um, but if they're doing CGI where they're then basically placing 3D elements into shot footage, mm -hmm then that can be done after, like they traditionally have. Right. Um, so I don't know. I feel like that's not something that should hold them up, but you just haven't had much news lately on it. Right. That's, like, that's been the highlight. Yes. <laughs> the highlight is the font debacle. Yeah, the font logo debacle. <laughs> and then the score. The score is another thing where I'm like, John Williams got to see footage of you know the movies before he started scoring it. Like Historically, that's how you do movies. Right. Um, you know, TV shows, I'm sure, work different. I've never been involved, really. You know, when we did Sound for a Picture, it was really for music videos, short films, um, and major motion pictures. We we would basically do, like, audio replacement and stuff like that, right. ADR. Um, I never did anything for TV shows, so the process there might be vastly different because the turnaround times are so much quicker. Um, so I'm not sure how it works for... Somebody who's scoring that. I know the process for scoring TV shows is different. Yeah, and that would make sense. I think. I just... hope. I hope it's still as good though as like when they score the movies because. Yeah. Well, TV shows don't tend to have as like robust of a soundtrack to them. May not be robust, but you can still have something memorable. Like yeah. I mean, I think of the Game of Thrones introduction. Game of Thrones and Outlander. Their intros are really, really good. Well, but even, th well, no, the base. Okay, we, disagree, <laughs> we definitely disagree on this. The baseline introduction for um, 
Outlander I thought was really good. The most recent season was very, 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 very poorly done in my opinion. I really disliked it vehemently. Yeah, the vocals right there. It was abrasive to my my ears. Auditory canals were upset. Yeah. But. When you start praying for your eighth cranial nerve to just stop working, <laughs> it's not great. It's not a good sign, <laughs> not generally great. speaking. Yeah. No offense to the artist or whoever selected them, however, do better next time. Right. Next season should be better. Um, we're waiting for the second half of... No, we, we finished the season of Outlander, right? Nope. Second half still coming. But we're going to stay on Harry Potter. Fair enough. <laughs> also from the UK, though. So, you know, fair fair uh, tangent there. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, so we're going to keep watching for news on the, the TV show as it develops. There has been no further development of um, any of the casting, anything like that. As we talked about before, there has been some groundwork laid for what some of the rules are going to be. They really want no-name actors for the kids. Um, they don't want anybody who you strongly associate with any other franchise for any of the roles, really. But the kids were the most important. And then, they're, as of now, it's still all UK-casted, so natural-born UK citizens. Except for, you know, when they do things like Durmstrang and... Um, Bobaton. Bobaton or Bobaton. Um, or anybody who's from outside of the UK based on the storyline. Right. So they'll reach out for those kind of things. Um, interesting update for stuff outside of that. Um, Warwick Davis, who played Professor Flickwick and Griphook, was just spotted at <laughs> Universal Studios Orlando. He was actually there for Halloween Horror Nights. So every, uh, every Halloween season, every spooky season, Universal Studios Orlando, Florida, and I believe also um, California, puts on Halloween Horror Nights, which is... The best haunted <laughs> houses you've ever been to. The production value there is insane. It's like you're in the movie or video game or whatever they're portraying. Um, this year they're doing um, The Last of Us, Stranger Things, oh. and a few other pretty big ones. The Last of Us is going to be based off the games, so the original content, not the adaptation to the TV. I'm really excited, but I'm terrified as well. Yeah, and... Another thing that they do during that season is Death Eaters roam around uh, the Wizarding World, which is super cool. So you see people in these really, really awesome Death Eater costumes, and they're like going around casting like curses at people. It's uh, super, super cool. But apparently Warwick Davis was just like buzzing around on a Segway. <laughs> like it looked like a hoverboard. Off. And he was just like chilling out. Fans spotted him, took pictures and stuff. I think it's so cool that he still stays very involved in the Wizarding World franchise. Absolutely. I honestly hope that he makes it into the TV show. Even if he's just a, like, if he's a goblin, you will have no idea it's him. And it really won't, like, take away in any way. I know, but. I hope he does. Just because, like, they could do it without it being war, like, looking like Warwick. I know, but it, it just, it lends itself. I don't know. I, I'm looking for something entirely new. And he is he is fantastic. I yeah. don't... But I am looking for something entirely new. It comes back to my point on Snape. We cannot... We cannot replicate what Alan Rickman did. Oh, but it doesn't so have I to be I need something hook. entirely new. And when I say I need something entirely new, I need new people, new takes, new music, apparently a new font, and a new logo. <laughs> All of it has to be new, and all of it has to be different. But what if he was just like a random goblin, like an extra? I mean, that would be a fun journey for him, 
But again, I feel like it opens a door that I would prefer to keep shut. I'm totally open for it. Tom, for sure. um, Tom Felton has said he wants to come back as Draco's dad. Obviously. As <laughs> that's, that's like a no-go, though, because he's so He's so incredibly identifiable. Yeah. He's fantastic. And I would watch him watch the show, but I don't want to watch him in the show. That's like Inception kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Because I do feel that he will have some of the most genuine and joyful reactions. Oh, I yeah. think he is a perfect human being. However. <laughs> That's a stretch, but. I don't know. He's he's pretty awesome. Another, like, great fan. Yeah, he's I, just a great fan and a good person. Yeah. Jason Isaac's been pretty good, too. That was um, Lucius. Yes. But, uh, yeah, he definitely can't play No. He can't anybody. be in it. He can't be a human, and for sure. If Honestly... I really don't think that there's a bigger fan than Tom Felton. So if Tom Felton can't be in it. I don't know. Warwick Davis is pretty, pretty hardcore. He's been at like every Wizarding World event. It's crazy. I don't know, man. Any case, so those are the, those are the updates. News is still sparse on the TV series. I'm really, really, really hopeful we'll start hearing about casting and about some sort of shooting schedule. I know the shooting schedule is going to be a little bit more arduous to dig up but we should hear about that you know i would think in the next year or so um should we talk about the timeline i mean we can okay um let's see how far are we in pretty far in we'll talk about that another okay another podcast yeah no that's totally fair i think um it's just important to note that no official casting decisions have been made even though people are putting out fakes and jokes like i've seen jokes about adam driver being snape yeah that'll never happen he's not a uk citizen not a uk citizen yeah i mean he's too recognizable way too recognizable he looks like he looks like he could fit the part right he aesthetically he just it won't be him it won't be him so don't believe everything that you read yeah there's been a, a bunch of fakes about that and people have been thirsting for him as snape for a long time it's a really weird weird vibe um, but that's not going to happen. There's also been other rumors about um, Harry being, or sorry, Daniel Radcliffe being involved in some capacity. He's pretty much said, even if he was asked, he, he wouldn't do it. Right. Um, Tom Felton, I, I, again, I just don't think they'll include him in any capacity. He has expressed direct interest, as has Jason Isaac. Just, it's just not going to happen. Right. It's not realistic. Um, things that, I just want to end with one more thing. Things that they need to do right to, for me. And I want you to comment on it, too, uh, for the TV series. We talked about last time, age of the adult characters has to be right. Yes. You can't have people who look like they're in their mid to late 40s to 50s that are supposed to be, like, 31. Correct. That was a, a real annoyance for me. Um, you need to make sure that Harry's eyes match Lily's eyes. That's mm-hmm. a big thing for me. In fact, the the girl who played Lily as a kid in the original franchise, she's 24 now. She would be perfect to cast as an adult Lily because she doesn't look exactly the same, but she looks like Lily is described as an adult. Hmm. So that would be an exception I could make because I don't think she's recognizable, really, and it's an adult character. Yeah, you're just full of exceptions. I'm not up for that. I'm looking for something new. No, but, but she's continue. she's an adult character, though. Right, an adult character that was in the original franchise. Well, anyways, <laughs> I think she would be a, a good one to play Lily. Um, again, she's British-born. She visually looks like Lily. And uh, she's the right age. She's 24 now, so she should be somewhere between when she died, you know, 21, 22 years of age. Right. So she should be good. 
Um, she doesn't really have much in the way of speaking roles either, so I think the fact that she was somebody who existed as a child in the original, like, that would know, in no way, in my opinion, deter from the, or detract from the, um... But for Lily, we're probably going to have to cast at 21 or younger because they will need to remain looking like they're 21 for as many years as the series is around. Well, they could just cast all her parts. Uh, they could just shoot all of her parts. All her parts could be shot literally year one. They could just shoot them all. Because it's like the story is written. They're not waiting for books, books to come out. Yes. So all of her parts, if she's being superimposed as a ghost anyways. Yes. And they have any rough idea of how those scenes are going to look when... She's in them. I mean, I'm thinking about the Resurrection Stone. There's so many yeah. characters involved in that that won't be around year one. True. I still think it, if they had to, they could. But she's young enough. Women don't tend to typically change that drastically between like 21 and 27. That unless, you know, unless they have kids or things like that, then they can. But typically speaking, a lot of the physical development We're for women is happening before age like seven. 18 series which each or seven, seven years. yeah seven yeah. years yeah so between 21 and like 27 no she's gonna be 31 oh she this years. one will be yeah yeah this one would be she'll be older than that technically because they haven't oh. started production it's yeah. a fair point <laughs> anyway um those are some big things so that we talked about the flight thing don't add anything that's not in the books if you want it to be a faithful adaptation remove as minimal as possible um, if you are adding things, I would like it to be drawn from J.K. Rowling's writings. On Pottermore. On Pottermore. Directly. Uh, and then, and it really should help with character development or storyline development. It yes. shouldn't just be there to be there. Mm-hmm. And uh, the age things, Harry Potter's eyes matching, those kind of things. Like those those crucial details that everybody's going to pick apart, you know, still 10 years after the series. Right. Just get them right. <laughs> get ahead of, you know, the, the curve on that one and just get them right. And you know what those things are now. Yeah. You've done it. We've learned from that mistake. Learn from the... Yeah, it's exactly it. Yeah. All we got to do is learn from our mistakes and stay faithful faithful to the books. Yeah, agreed. That's it. Um, stay tuned and follow us for our next episode. Make sure you leave comments about what you most disliked about the movie adaptation. Not disliked, but where you thought they strayed from the movie lines the most. Or, sorry, storylines the most. Um... Let us know what they did right in the movies. We always like to hear those, you know, the positive side of things. And what they would need to do specifically to make it feel right for you as an adaptation to TV when the series comes out. Is there anything, like, they have to have to do? Otherwise, it's not even worth watching for you. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, And then follow us for our next episode. Sounds good to me. See you guys next time.